As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. This episode contains distressing themes and is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. On this episode of They Walk Among America. On the evening of July 24, 2000, Sarasota police officers were dispatched to a house on Grand Cayman Street following a 911 call from a local resident who said a young man had told him he believed his aunt had been killed. After forcing their way into the property, they found a woman lying in a pool of blood in the kitchen, beaten to death. It didn't take long for the victim to be identified, and it took even less time for the media to pick up the story. 52-year-old Nancy Campbell Panitz had appeared on national television just hours before she was found dead. Her ex-husband and his new wife had confronted her on an episode of The Jerry Springer Show, and it seemed as though their troubles had followed them back home. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Nina Instead, and welcome to Episode 83 of They Walk Among America, a joint production between the Law & Crime Podcast Network and They Walk Among Us, the award-winning true crime podcast. Nancy Campbell, a mother to two adult sons, had met and married German national Ralph Jürgen Panitz in 1997. She was immediately enamored with the painter, who was 12 years her junior, but things soured just over a year into their marriage. In February 1999, Ralph met another woman online, 46-year-old Eleanor Isaac. Like Nancy, Eleanor had been in a series of failed relationships. She became instantly infatuated with Ralph, who was, by her account, handsome and charming. Ralph and Nancy got divorced, but things were far from over between them. Ralph was back and forth, stringing both women along. Just over a year later, Ralph asked Nancy to appear on the Jerry Springer show with him. 
She imagined it was to reconcile their differences and get back together, but she could not have been more wrong. On the day of Nancy's 52nd birthday, she walked out onto the Jerry Springer show stage to a hail of boos and insults. The episode was called Secret Mistresses Confronted, and the show notes read, Eleanor says her husband's ex-wife, Nan, won't take no for an answer. Nan has stalked them so severely that they had to go into hiding. Today, Nan will learn that her ex-husband is actually married to Eleanor. Ralph and Eleanor had told the show's host and audience that Nancy had been stalking and harassing them, and they had gotten married in secret in March of 2000. Ralph said, Nancy is very nice sometimes, but then she changes into Mrs. Jekyll. I cannot deal with it anymore. Nancy responded by accusing Ralph of playing them both. She said, All the games with all his women? He takes all the money he can from each woman, and he moves on to the next woman. Eleanor told Nancy she wanted to be left alone so they could live a normal life. Nancy responded by saying, No, you don't. Neither does Ralph. He loves the excitement. Nancy then dropped the bombshell that she and Ralph had slept together in the hotel the previous night. Jerry Springer asked Ralph why he had sex with Nancy, and Ralph said he wanted to keep her illusioned so she would come on the show. Ralph stated, I thought she might be humiliated enough to realize it was over. Eleanor, who had called Nancy fat and old on the show, said, You can't humiliate this woman. Jerry Springer told Nancy that Ralph was trying to say to her he didn't want to be with her. Nancy simply said, That's fine. Bye. And left the stage. Eleanor later explained that it was her and Ralph's idea to go on the tabloid talk show. She said, Ralph told me he watched the show when he and Nancy were married. We were watching it one day, and we saw words flash across the screen. Is there someone interfering in your relationship? Do you want to confront them? Call Jerry Springer. So we looked at each other, and I called the show. Eleanor later regretted the decision, especially when she discovered that Ralph had slept with Nancy the night before the episode was recorded. She and Ralph split up. Eleanor filed a temporary restraining order against her new husband, and Ralph filed for divorce. Ralph then went crawling back to Nancy. Five days after Ralph filed for divorce, Nancy purchased a home on Grand Cayman Street in Sarasota on a lease option basis. Ralph's name was also on the lease. They lived in the house together with Ralph's 24-year-old nephew, Marcus. Almost immediately, the arguments began again. Neighbors told reporters that there were screaming matches most days. Scott Grimwood, who lived nearby, said, There were police there every other day, although I never heard any screaming or yelling coming from that house. This is usually a super quiet neighborhood. Another neighbor, Greg Miles, stated, Those people didn't quite fit. They didn't blend in. I saw them in their yard a couple of times. I never met them, never made eye contact. They seemed strange. Within a month of getting the house together, Ralph had made up with Eleanor, and he wanted Eleanor to move in. Nancy left the house and applied for a temporary injunction against Ralph, claiming he had been repeatedly violent toward her. 
Over the next few days, the Panitzes were back and forth, filing injunctions against each other. Nancy filed one against Eleanor, and Marcus filed one against Nancy. Ralph also claimed that Nancy had broken into the house and stolen some of his belongings. On the morning of July 24, 2000, Nancy, Ralph, Eleanor, and Marcus went before Circuit Judge Robert Bennett. Nancy asked for a domestic violence injunction against Ralph, allowing her to move back into the house on Grand Cayman Street. Recalling an incident exactly two years prior, Nancy told the judge, He's frequently violent. He had chased me with a knife and made threats about taking my life, ending my life, the way he was going to torture me. He spent a couple of hours telling me how he would kill me and my whole family, and he was trying to think of a way to do it. Nancy was granted the injunction, which was served to Ralph in the courtroom. He was ordered to immediately vacate the home and stay 500 feet away from it and from Nancy. Ralph was furious and had to be led out of the courtroom by deputies. While Eleanor and Marcus gathered their belongings at the house in preparation for Nancy's return, Ralph drowned his sorrows at a local bar. By 4 p.m., countless viewers nationwide had watched the Jerry Springer Show episode that made tabloid fodder of their personal lives. But the story was just beginning. At around 7.35 p.m. that night, Marcus Panitz was heard shouting in the street by neighbors. He said he believed his uncle was in the house and would kill himself or Nancy. A neighbor tried in vain to get inside the house, but the front door was blocked by something, so he called 911. Sarasota Sheriff's Office deputies arrived at the scene and forced their way inside. In the kitchen, they found a woman's body in a pool of blood. It was obvious she had been badly beaten and was almost unrecognizable due to facial fractures. Her dark hair was matted with blood and her left eye was swollen shut. There were clear indications that she had been repeatedly stamped on, as the bloody imprint of a shoe was evident on her face. It seemed as though Nancy had barricaded the front door herself to protect herself, and there were no obvious signs of a break-in. She had only returned to the house a few hours earlier, accompanied by sheriff's deputies, after being granted an injunction against Ralph. Marcus was brought in for questioning, and it didn't take long for the police to start looking for Ralph and Eleanor, but they were nowhere to be found. Investigators believe they had fled the state and were trying to get to Canada, but they also had connections in Maine, where Eleanor's family lived on a reservation close to the border. An alert was sent out for the couple's silver two-door Oldsmobile, and Sarasota Sheriff Jeff Mange said, we have obtained an arrest warrant for a homicide investigation for the arrest of Ralph Panitz. Based on this case and other arrests, Ralph is considered dangerous. We've also obtained a warrant to take Eleanor Panitz into custody as a witness. Four days later, on Friday, July 28, 2000, Ralph and Eleanor presented themselves at the Sarasota Courthouse where Ralph was immediately arrested and charged with first-degree murder. Eleanor was not charged, but the judge ordered that she be held without bond because she was a material witness and a flight risk. 
Boston legal representatives had called the Sarasota Sheriff's Department the prior evening to tell them that the couple had arrived at their office and were looking to surrender themselves. Detectives had been searching for them for days, and they were due to feature on an episode of America's Most Wanted that weekend before they turned themselves in. Eleanor and Ralph had traveled over a thousand miles in her Oldsmobile. Eleanor and Ralph's nephew, Marcus, had given conflicting statements about the lead-up to Nancy's murder. They both said they had been to court with Ralph to contest a restraining order Nancy had filed against him. After the judge ordered Ralph, Eleanor, and Marcus vacate the home, they collected some of their belongings before going to a bar to watch the Jerry Springer Show episode that was airing that afternoon. Eleanor explained that Ralph was so upset after being barred from the home that he had tried to sit in the middle of the road to get run over, but the driver had swerved. Marcus said he had gone to his girlfriend's house for a while before returning to the bar. He said that Ralph was drunk and wanted to return to the house, so they made their way over there. As they were inside, Marcus saw Nancy and sheriff's deputies pull up. They rushed to the dining room and helped Ralph out of a window, arranging to meet at the local 7-Eleven a few minutes later. Marcus told Roberts that Eleanor had come to the 7-Eleven parking lot in a panic and said that Ralph was at the house and he could kill Nancy. Marcus said he had not seen Ralph at the house when he returned to look for him, but Eleanor told the assistant state attorney, Charles E. Roberts, that Marcus, quote, went down the street past the house and he's looking off like into the bushes, and then he comes back up to me and tells me that Ralph is sitting against a fence and that he looks like he's passed out. Eleanor said that she had found Ralph walking down the street a few moments later, around the same time Marcus had alerted the neighbors and 911 was called. She later explained why she and Ralph had fled Florida that day. Eleanor stated, I thought the deputies were there to arrest Ralph, and he was being deported. If he got arrested by INS, it could take years. I had no idea anything had happened. Certainly, it didn't look good after the fact, us driving away. Initially, we were going to Canada to an Indian reservation where my father lives. But when we got to Maine, I called my father and he told us Ralph's ex-wife had been found dead. We were shocked. We couldn't believe it. That's when we backtracked to Boston and the German consulate. She also voiced her firm belief that Ralph was not involved in Nancy's death. Eleanor said, There weren't any obvious blood spatters on his clothes when he got in the car. There were no cuts and bruises or abrasions on Ralph, and he was still very drunk. I don't see how anyone in that state could beat someone bloody and not have any blood on their shirt or their hands. We turned ourselves in three days later. Those kinds of bruises wouldn't have healed by then. Eleanor was released on a $25,000 bond secured by her longtime friend, Margaret Tomasi. Eleanor and Margaret had known each other for over 20 years after meeting at a belly dancing class Margaret was teaching, and they had been friends ever since. Margaret had used her home as collateral to secure Eleanor's bond when she realized no one else was going to help Eleanor get out of jail. She stated, I thought I was just going to be a character witness. Eleanor's mother and stepfather were at the hearing, but they didn't offer to post bond, so I said, why not? Like I told the judge at the bond hearing, I would turn Eleanor in if I thought she would leave. Eleanor won't go anywhere. If she was, why would she have come back? 
Margaret spoke highly of her best friend and said that Eleanor was a highly intelligent member of Mensa who was in the middle of completing her bachelor's degree in psychology. Margaret also said that Ralph was a highly skilled painter. One of Eleanor's former supervisors, David Schilling, who had been over Eleanor when she worked as a newspaper carrier with the Herald, described how she was a happy-go-lucky person until she met Ralph and Nancy. He said that after getting involved with Ralph, Nancy began to stalk Eleanor. He told the Bradenton Herald, she had to change her address because she said Nancy was peeking in her windows and taking her mail. She was genuinely scared. You could tell by her voice and actions. Schilling wasn't as fond of Ralph as Margaret was. He remarked that Ralph seemed like a flake to him and said, but Eleanor thought the sun rose and set with him. Eleanor was interviewed by the Bradenton Herald the following December. She said that Ralph was already drinking hard liquor on the morning of July 24, 2000, after being ordered to leave the house he and Nancy had gotten together. Eleanor stated, Ralph was angry at the judge, but not at Nancy. He was used to what Nancy was doing. Eleanor explained that she and Marcus had left Ralph at the bar while she and Marcus had gone to collect their belongings from the house. When they returned to the bar at three o'clock, Ralph was drunk, and they watched themselves on the Jerry Springer show together. A patron at the bar who was present at the time said, I watched the show with them the day they were here. The guy who's arrested sat over here, and then his wife and the relative came in later. They were hooting and hollering and partying it up, putting down the other lady. He bought us drinks. Other guests who had been on the Jerry Springer show with Nancy, Ralph, and Eleanor spoke with investigators. Todd Stevenson and his wife Tasha had been in the same limo as Ralph and Eleanor after the taping ended, and they overheard the couple speaking about their issues. Todd said, What they told me was that it had gotten to the point where Ralph and Eleanor were having such a problem with Nancy. Eleanor just made the comment, blurted out, that she wished someone would kill Nancy so she and Ralph could get on with their lives together and live in peace. Todd told investigators, And I really didn't think anything of it. I mean, it's Jerry Springer, right? Todd's wife also said that she had heard Eleanor speak about Nancy and how the only way they would get her out of their lives was if someone killed her. She explained they only realized the significance of what was said after they read about Nancy's death in newspapers. Tasha said, like, whoop, they really did it. Jerry Springer made a singular comment to reporters in the wake of the murder and said, They happen to be guests on the show. The show is television. This is life and death. Someone got murdered, and I want to respect that and let the police do their work. This was not the first murder to occur in the aftermath of a talk show drama. In 1995, an episode of The Jenny Jones Show was filmed based around secret crushes revealing themselves on stage to the person they admired. One guest who was invited onto the show to meet his secret admirer was 24-year-old Jonathan Schmitz. Jonathan was shocked and embarrassed when the person who had a crush on him turned out to be 32-year-old Scott Amador, and he told the show's host that he was heterosexual, so nothing would come from Scott's crush. Three days after the episode's taping, Scott allegedly left a note at Jonathan's house. Jonathan then bought a shotgun and brought it to Scott's house to confront him about the romantic advance. 
Jonathan shot Scott twice in the chest and then called 911 to confess that he had killed him. Jonathan Schmitz was ultimately convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to 25 to 50 years in prison. He was released in August 2017. After Jonathan was sentenced, the family of Scott Amador were represented by attorney Jeffrey Figer in a civil suit against The Jenny Jones Show, in which they were ultimately awarded $25 million in damages after it was claimed that Jonathan had been ambushed and provoked by the producers. Figer spoke to the press about the possibility of representing Nancy's family in a civil case against The Jerry Springer Show but he ultimately ended up representing Ralph Panitz as his defense attorney. Nancy was laid to rest in her hometown in Michigan, and her sons asked that donations be made to a local domestic violence shelter in her memory. The trial was delayed numerous times by the defense, but after the defense introduced three last-minute expert witnesses, the prosecution was denied a delay. Eleanor, who was to be called as a material witness by the prosecution, was happy that there would be no more holdups. She said, If it wasn't delayed today, then it will never be delayed. I'm going to try to have a good weekend. I get to visit Ralph on Saturday. I'm going to try to buy him another suit for trial. I guess I'm what you'd call a hostile witness. Eleanor believed that Ralph would be home soon, and neither she nor her husband were worried that he would be convicted. Eleanor said, Ralph has never been nervous because he knows he's innocent. I'm planning my life around an acquittal. There was more than one person who had means, motive, and opportunity to kill her. Ralph was being held in Sarasota County Jail after pleading not guilty to second-degree murder charges. The charges had been reduced from first-degree murder after ASA Roberts had evaluated the available evidence in the case. He said, the second-degree murder charge carries a minimum penalty of 24 years to a maximum penalty of life in prison without parole, whereas the first-degree murder charge carries a mandatory life sentence without parole. Charging Ralph with first-degree murder would mean that the prosecution had to prove the murder was premeditated. ASA Roberts said, Premeditation is defined as reflecting on the intention to kill for a period of time before the murder. If premeditation cannot be established, the murder charge is lessened to second degree. A second degree murder charge is based on evidence of intent to kill at the time of the murder and not before. The prosecutors, ASA Roberts and Deborah Johns Riva, said it was a clear homicide as Nancy had been beaten and strangled to death. Roberts stated, Cause of death is blunt trauma to the head. The woman's head was stepped on. Ralph's attorney, Jeffrey Figer, disagreed with the cause of death the prosecution were presenting. He said, She wasn't murdered. She engaged in some kind of altercation, fell, and had a heart attack. There is no murder. Figer claimed that he was being paid by the Jerry Springer show, something representatives of the show denied. He hinted at the multi-million dollar lawsuit he had won in the Jenny Jones show case and said, Why wouldn't they pay me? Look at all the publicity he's getting for free. Don't you think they'd rather have me on their side? Figer also spoke poorly about Nancy's character following a pretrial hearing. She was a Jekyll and Hyde personality. There's no question she was in a fight. She had her nose broken. She had a terrible fight. But whoever fought with her didn't intend to kill her. 
The trial finally began in Sarasota in March 2002. Opening the case for the state, prosecutor Charlie Roberts told the jury, the judge tried to protect Nancy Campbell, the sheriff's department tried to protect Nancy Campbell, and even Nancy Campbell, alone in her house later that day, tried to protect herself by barricading herself. Nancy Campbell was confronted by her ex-husband, Ralph Panitz, in her home. Ralph Panitz used his martial arts skills and beat and stomped Nancy to death. Nancy Campbell was no match for the violent and vengeful black belt intruder, the defendant. The prosecutor argued that Nancy had been strangled with such force that bones in her neck had broken. Charlie Roberts said that Ralph was furious with Nancy because she had been granted permission to reclaim the house they shared. Ralph had attacked her after watching their episode of The Jerry Springer Show. Announcing that the prosecution would present audio from the hearing that morning, Roberts said, You'll hear in her own words in a tape of the hearing, telling the judge that the defendant chased me with a knife and made threats about taking my life. After Nancy's request was granted, Ralph was overheard by a bailiff stating that she would never get the house. He also claimed a witness would testify that Ralph stated, She'll die someday and the house will be mine. Roberts told the court her only defense were her fingernails. Ralph Panett stopped on her head with such force that his shoe left a treadwear impression on Nancy's face and separated the bones of the face from the bones of the skull. The jury heard that DNA found under her fingernails was consistent with Ralph. Prosecutor Charlie Roberts told the court that the shoes Ralph wore when he turned himself in would be presented as evidence. He said, Ralph Panitz leaves numerous bloody shoe impressions around his ex-wife's body as well as on her face. Blood on the defendant's right shoe matched the victim's blood. Expert testimony will show individualized wear patterns on the shoes match the specific wear patterns that show up in Nancy Campbell's blood on the kitchen floor. Ralph's defense attorney, Jeffrey Feiger, said that the real killer was at large if Nancy was murdered, which he said she was not. Feiger told the jury diabetes, obesity, and heart disease caused her death. The defense attorney said there wasn't enough evidence in the case to implicate his client, he told the court. The prosecutor has made a horrible mistake. The evidence in this case is circumstantial. There is no witness and no proof. Feiger argued that even DNA evidence was not strong enough. He said, DNA under Nancy's fingernails was statistically more likely to come from a Hispanic male than Ralph Panitz. DNA is just a fancy word for a guess. If Nancy touched any of Ralph's clothing, he would have his DNA on her hands. Feiger said that Nancy was a liar who just wanted the house to herself, quote, she abused the legal system to punish people. Feiger attacked the shoe print evidence found at the scene and said that all of the prints came from a right shoe and no prints led away from Nancy's body. He asked the jury, could Ralph Panitz, deliriously drunk, fight Nancy Campbell hopping on one foot, then clean up the blood evidence, lock the house from the inside, barricade the front door from the inside, and leave without any fingerprints and nobody seeing him. Did he fly away? There's something really strange about these footprints. It would be anatomically impossible for a person not to leave the left shoe print. The shoe prints showed perfect imprints in blood at various distances from the body. 
This would be impossible unless you use the shoe like a stamp and continuously dip it in blood. Figer said that while no blood was recovered from Ralph's clothes, he had photographs of his nephew, who was found wearing what Figer believed were bloodstained trousers. One of Nancy's colleagues from Blake Medical Center, Lynn Beals, testified that she had seen evidence of domestic abuse within Nancy and Ralph's relationship. Lynn told the court, I saw finger mark bruises on her neck and her upper arms. They never had a chance to heal. She lifted her shirt and showed me a huge purple mark on her stomach. Nancy was always trying to conceal her bruises by wearing something that would cover her neck. Lynn said that she had advised Nancy to leave Ralph on numerous occasions, and Nancy had told her that Ralph drank heavily throughout their marriage. Audio from the hearing on the morning of Nancy's murder was played to the court. On the tape, Nancy told the judge about the abuse she had suffered at Ralph's hands as she tried to get a domestic violence injunction against Ralph and reclaim the house they had shared. Nancy had said, He chased me with a knife and made threats about how he was going to kill me. Nancy had also told the judge she had experienced many episodes of physical violence with her ex-husband and believed that he would kill her. Sheriff's deputies who were at the hearing testified about Ralph's demeanor following the judge's decision. One told the court, Ralph Panitz was using cuss words. His tone went up and he said he wasn't leaving the house. When questioned about Marcus's trousers, one deputy who had been at the scene of the murder said that she did not see any bloodstains on his clothing. Ralph's nephew, Marcus, then testified. He'd been at the courthouse with Ralph and Eleanor on the morning of July 24, 2000, to try and retain possession of the house. After the judge sided with Nancy, Marcus said Ralph was angry, upset, and excited. Marcus explained they had dropped Ralph off at a bar while they went to the house to collect their belongings. Then they met up at the bar again where they watched the Jerry Springer episode. Marcus told the court that Ralph had been drinking schnapps, beer, and whiskey, and he was furious at his ex-wife and said, I'm going back to the house. It's my house, and it's not Nancy's house. Marcus said that he and Eleanor had reluctantly agreed to drive him to the house, and even though a protection order barred him from coming within 500 feet, he entered the property. Marcus recalled, we walked into the master bedroom. My uncle threw himself on the bed saying, it's my house. Soon after, Marcus spotted the police outside and Ralph quickly jumped off the bed and escaped through a dining room window. Eleanor and Marcus were still inside when Nancy and the deputies arrived to supervise them removing their belongings. Afterwards, they went to look for Ralph, who had run into the woods when Nancy and the police arrived. He said that an hour before Nancy's lifeless body was found, he had met Eleanor at a 7-Eleven car park, and she had told him, Hurry up, Ralph is going into the house and he's trying to kill Nancy. Nancy's crying for help. Marcus described Eleanor as looking very frightened as he spoke through a German interpreter. He said that he had returned to the house to look for Ralph, but the door was blocked. So he ran to alert the neighbors, who then called 911. During cross-examination, Marcus was asked if Nancy had called him names, and if that made him angry. He told the court that she had called him a stupid little slave boy and garbage, but he wasn't angry. He said he was disappointed that a grown woman would say such things. 
The neighbor that had called 911 testified next. Ron Shen lived across the street from the home Nancy and Ralph had shared for a few weeks during their reconciliation, and he said that he had heard Marcus walking up the street calling out. Ron told the court, Marcus told me his uncle Ralph was in the house, that he was drunk, and that Ralph was killing his ex-wife and himself. Marcus was asking for help. Ron said that Marcus had also told him that Ralph had been hiding in the trees earlier when Nancy arrived at home with the police. Ron made his way across to the house and tried to enter through the front door, but something was blocking it. He then called 911. Next-door neighbor Greg Miles told the court, I heard a screaming male voice that sounded angry, loud, and I couldn't understand what was said. The screaming stopped as suddenly as it had started. I saw Eleanor Panett standing on the street, screaming in the direction of the house. I heard her yell, Ron, don't do this, and she looked like she had seen a ghost. Greg said that he had later realized Nancy had said the name Ralph, but he could not testify about that in front of the jury because his initial statement had included the name Ron. Eleanor Panitz took the stand next. She said that Nancy had harassed her for over a year due to her relationship with Ralph. Eleanor told the court, She followed me to work. She emailed me. She called me. She claimed that Nancy had threatened to have her killed, saying, She told me she wouldn't dare kill me, but she had money to hire someone to do it. Eleanor said that the harassment and stalking were what prompted them to go on the talk show in the first place. She said she had seen an advert for the show that asked people who had someone interfering with their lives to get in touch. Eleanor told the court, So we called 1-800-JERRY. The purpose of going on the show was to get her to leave us alone. The episode was taped in Chicago in early May 2000, and Eleanor got upset as she spoke about how things had turned out. She said, We were just supposed to tell our story. The part where Nancy had sex with my husband wasn't supposed to be part of it. The revelation led to Eleanor and Ralph breaking up on June 10th. Ralph had reconciled with Nancy soon afterward, and they had leased the house on Grand Cayman Street. But just weeks later, Eleanor and Ralph got back together and took over the house as their own. She said, That house was my permanent residence. I had as much right to be in that house as she did. The hearing on July 24th ended with Nancy getting the house back, and Ralph was barred from coming within 500 feet of the property. Eleanor described being devastated that her husband could not come back into their house. She said they had gone to a bar to watch the episode at 2 p.m. that day, at which point Ralph was already extremely drunk. Afterwards, Eleanor said it was her decision to return to the house. Once inside, she had laid Ralph on the bed and took off his shoes because he was so drunk. But soon after, Nancy and the police arrived outside. She testified, Me and Marcus picked up Ralph and got him out the window. I think I told him to meet us at 7-Eleven. She said that she had seen Ralph walk toward the house and she went to find Marcus who was waiting at the 7-Eleven. She denied telling Marcus that she thought Ralph was in the house killing Nancy and claimed she had told him they needed to get Ralph away from the home before Nancy saw him. Eleanor said that she had driven back toward the house and let Marcus out before continuing through the neighborhood, where she saw Ralph walking along the street with his shoes in his hands. She said that they had driven straight to Boston and told the court, I wanted to go to a German consulate because I thought Ralph may be deported. 
She also claimed they didn't know about Nancy's death until that evening. Ralph's defense attorney, Figer, asked Eleanor why they came back to Sarasota to turn themselves in. She replied, because Ralph wanted to, because he said he didn't do it. The shoes Ralph had been wearing when he presented himself to the police had blood on them that matched Nancy. The treads on the bottom of his shoes also matched the bloody impressions found around Nancy's body and the shoe imprint on Nancy's face. Sarah Blankenship, a bartender at Johnny's Bar and Grill in Bradenton, testified that she had overheard Ralph and Eleanor arguing about Nancy during one of their regular trips to the bar. She said they had told her they were going on the Jerry Springer show to humiliate Nancy and get her out of their lives. Sarah said that she had heard Eleanor say that if the harassment didn't stop, she would kill her, to which Ralph replied, Don't worry, if it doesn't stop, I will choke the life out of her. Medical examiner Dr. Michael Hunter had concluded that Nancy had been choked and beaten to death. He said, The cause of death was multiple injuries to the neck and head and severe brain injury. There was evidence of strangulation and injuries inflicted from a stomping, a tremendous injury from a tremendous amount of force. The force had been such that it caused her facial bones to separate from her skull. As large images of Nancy's body at the scene were displayed to the court, the medical examiner pointed to a distinct imprint on her face and said, Here is a geometric pattern from a footwear impression. The injury was caused by footwear. A DNA analyst had testified that four blood spots had been found on Ralph's right shoe and that the blood had matched Nancy's DNA. He also revealed that DNA found under Nancy's fingernails had come from Ralph. Detective Kevin Pingle, who had led the investigation, was asked to explain why there was no blood on Ralph's left shoe. He said, I could only assume the left shoe did not get in the blood. Crime scene technicians also testified that the imprints on Nancy's face had come from Ralph's shoe. The defense called Dr. Henry Lee, a renowned forensic expert who had gained national attention when he testified for the defense in the O.J. Simpson trial. Dr. Lee said that he had analyzed crime scene photographs from the house and believed it was as if someone had staged the scene. It was almost like someone had dipped the shoe in blood and then pressed it on the floor like a stamp. He said, You can't explain 19 pretty beautiful shoe prints just on the left side of the body. Maybe a one-legged man or someone hopping on one foot. Dr. Lee also said that Marcus's shoes did not match the prints found in Nancy's blood, and that he found it rather strange that there was no blood leading away from the scene. Despite the medical examiner's report that concluded that Nancy had died from head injuries, the defense maintained their belief that she had died from a heart attack. The defense called another nationally known figure to testify as an expert. Dr. Michael Bodden had his own HBO TV show called Autopsy and had worked on several high-profile cases in the past. He said that Nancy was in poor health and told the jury she was a walking time bomb. She could have died from running after a car or dancing or any kind of emotional upset. The defense accepted that Nancy had been in a physical altercation, but they insisted she had died of natural causes. Witnesses were called to bolster the defense's case that Ralph had been too drunk to kill Nancy. 
One neighbor recalled seeing Ralph stumbling down the street with a beer in his hand within an hour of Nancy's body being found. The bartender who had served Ralph that day said he had drank two beers and five rum and cokes. Ralph Panitz testified in his own defense toward the end of the trial. He said he did not remember much from the day of Nancy's murder because he had been drinking so much. He had even missed the Jerry Springer episode because he had fallen asleep on the bar. Ralph said he remembered waking up on the bed in the house on Grand Cayman Street and Eleanor and Marcus pushing him out of the dining room window because Nancy and sheriff's deputies were there. He was not allowed within 500 feet of the house. He told the court, The next thing I remember is getting into Eleanor's car, then waking up in Georgia, asking my wife where we were. She said we were going to Maine because there was a deportation order against me and she was protecting me. He recalled how he had reacted when he heard about Nancy's death while he and Eleanor were in Maine. Ralph testified, I was extremely shocked and I was crying. I had deep emotions for Nan. I had nothing to do with what happened and I wanted to return to Florida. Ralph also said he had not gotten rid of his shoes while in Maine because he didn't believe he had any reason to. Quote, I kind of liked those blue sneakers. I didn't throw them away because I didn't know they had anything to do with it. Ralph also bolstered the defense's suggestion that his nephew Marcus could have been responsible for the murder. He told the court, Marcus was extremely upset I had lost the house. He loved the pool. He said Nancy wouldn't get away with this in Germany and that something bad would happen to her. After Ralph completed his testimony, the defense rested their case, and then the closing arguments began. Prosecutor Roberts told the jury, He choked and stomped her to death and inflicted the final blow with his weapon of choice, his foot. Robert said that Ralph was incensed by the judge's decision to side with Nancy and the fact that he had to leave the house. Roberts told the jury, it was foreign for him to lose, and when he did lose, he intentionally lashed out the woman who got the best of him. He told the jury that Ralph's shoe prints were found on and around Nancy's body. Roberts said, there is no doubt that the defendant's shoe left those prints and that the crushing impression on Nancy's face came from the defendant's favorite shoes. Defense attorney Figer attempted to pick apart the prosecution's case. He said there were no left shoe imprints at the scene or blood evidence on Ralph's clothing apart from his shoes. Figer said, When you break down the evidence, all you have is 19 inexplicable, perfectly formed right footprints. Why is there no blood on Ralph's clothes, his socks, the car, the floor mats? Why is there nothing on the left shoe? The jury were sent out to deliberate and returned 18 hours later with a verdict. On March 26, 2002, the jury found Ralph Panitz guilty of the second-degree murder of Nancy Campbell. Nancy's sons, Jeffrey and Gary, had attended the trial and spoke of their relief at the verdict outside the courtroom. 29-year-old Jeffrey said he was glad the waiting was over and they could move on, but he thought he would be happier that justice had been served. He described his mother as a talented artist who painted and made pottery, but her passion was being a mom. 
She had raised her sons alone after their father's death when they were very young, and she worked hard to provide them with everything they could want or need. Nancy's sons had struggled through not only the graphic testimony about their mother's death, but also the defense's assassination of her character. Figer had called Nancy grossly obese and obsessive during the trial. Afterwards, he blasted the jury too, saying, They did exactly what I asked them not to do. They made up evidence. There is no evidence in this case, and the stronger jurors convicted the weaker ones. He also called two jurors, in particular, Nazis and creeps. Ralph had refused to attend the sentencing hearing before Judge Nancy Donnellan two months later. He watched the proceedings on a TV screen from his holding cell instead. Prosecutor Roberts read letters written by Nancy's son Gary and her sister Janet to the court. Gary had written, The death of my mother has been emotionally exhausting. Ralph is a violent, angry, and manipulative man who should not be allowed to re-enter society. Janet was not present at the sentencing hearing, but had been present throughout the trial. Her statement read, Ralph Panitz killed my sister. The details of the murder were more than some of us could handle at times. I do not sleep much anymore. A piece of all of us has died. He brutally, savagely killed my sister like an animal and must be caged like an animal forever. Judge Donnellan told Nancy's sons that she knew that their mother would have been very proud of them and loved them very much. She said, The court thanks the victim's family. I was amazed at the dignity you have shown when you looked at photos of your mother and sister, and as you listened to testimony about her character and health. The judge also took time to address the Jerry Springer show and its part in the case. Quote, A human being was brutally murdered. I offer no comment on whether the show is responsible. Ralph Panitz, Eleanor Panitz, and Nancy Campbell were brought to Chicago by the Jerry Springer show and manipulated in order to increase their humiliation on the show. That is reprehensible. To Jerry Springer, are ratings more important than the dignity of human life? Shame on you. Shame on you. During her sentencing remarks, Judge Donnellan spoke to Ralph, gazing directly down the camera lens as she said, To Ralph Panitz, many commented to me on your arrogance during the trial. I did not see arrogance, but I saw no emotion. You appeared unmoved when the photos of your ex-wife's body were shown, when her injuries were described, when the cause of death was explained. Are you remorseful? Nancy Campbell was a mother, a sister. She had kids. Judge Donnellan then held up a photograph of Nancy's bloodied and battered face up to the camera and said, Ralph Panitz, this is how she died. I sentence you to life in prison. Following the sentencing hearing, Eleanor Panitz, who remained loyal to Ralph, said that they planned to appeal the verdict and that Ralph had not attended the hearing because he was on a hunger strike in protest about the restrictions imposed on him in jail that prevented him from going outside or to church. Nancy's family filed a civil suit against the Jerry Springer show. The family were represented by attorneys Paul Vlachos and Ellis Rubin in the wrongful death lawsuit. Rubin told the press that the lawsuit was not only on behalf of Nancy's family, but also on behalf of the American public who is fed up with the spoon-fed trash that is on television. 
Rubin said. I think the American public has had enough of the type of shows that exploit human tragedies and create human tragedies. We hope to make it the death knell of these types of shows. Our verdict is going to be much greater than the 25 million of the Jenny Jones verdict. Before a hearing at the Sarasota Courthouse in July 2002, Nancy's son Jeffrey stated, Mom, today this is for you. Her memory has been tarnished by a few minutes on a television program, and what we're doing here today is hopefully in some way restore her good name and possibly help others in the future. The lawsuit stated that Nancy was to be surprised by being told that Ralph and Eleanor were already married, and then she would be publicly rejected. The lawsuit claimed that Ralph Panitz had been told by producers that if he did not sleep in Nancy's room with her, the show would not pay for their transport home. Rubin wrote, The taping and subsequent airing of the show triggered the death of Nancy Campbell. The Springer defendants knew or should have known that by putting these three documented violence-prone guests together on the show, by deception and fraud, would lead to further violence or worse among the three. Nancy had signed a waiver just before going on stage, which removed any liability from the show. Eleanor, who had remained by Ralph's side as one of his only supporters, dismissed the lawsuit and said, The Jerry Springer show is not responsible for Nancy's death. I'm not responsible for Nancy's death, and certainly Ralph is not responsible for her death. I will bring into court emails sent by Nancy to me and Ralph about the show. She called me before the show to discuss what we were going to wear, and she is the one who introduced Ralph to the show when he moved to America from Germany. She knew what the show was about. The lawsuit was subsequently dropped in January 2003. Two months earlier, the $25 million jury verdict awarded to the family of Scott Amador had been reversed following an appeal. Ralph remains incarcerated at the Polk Correctional Facility in Florida. Eleanor, who appeared on a 2009 episode of Prison Wives, still visits him most weekends. This episode was researched and written by Eileen McFarlane. Editing and scoring by Corey Hiltman. Script editing, additional writing, and production direction by Rosanna and Benjamin Fitton. For more on our series and notes on this episode, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. And for more on the Law & Crime Podcast Network, please visit lawandcrime.com podcasts. This has been They Walk Among America. We appreciate you listening, and please be safe. Thank you.